Welcome back to another episode of the D2 Nation Sports Fans. I'm your host, Wayne Cavati, and as always, I'm joined by the GOAT of Kansas reporting, Bethany Bowman. While there's a lot of excitement brewing with the D2 fall tournaments a mere weeks away, the D2 men's and women's basketball seasons tipped off this past weekend. As if we weren't busy enough, Bethany, uh, what, what do you think? I know my head's spinning a little bit thinking about basketball starting up with football still going on and all the other fall sports, but really excited. We saw some top 25 action on the men and women's courts with the likes of West Texas A&M, Damon and Drury on the court. But this weekend we see the defending champs back in action as Northwest Missouri State heads to the small college basketball hall of fame classic. Joining us today to talk about D2 men's hoops is the founder of small college basketball, John McCarthy and the voice of the small college basketball podcast, Chris Cottrell. Welcome to the nation, guys. So great to be here. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks, Wayne. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is terrific. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're very excited to have you both. Obviously, um, you know, we were talking right before we came on. It's a lot of worlds colliding uh, into one that I feel like this union should have been made years ago. But I'm glad we're all together finally uh, in the same place. Um, obviously you both know that, um, for me, the hall of fame classic is one of my favorite parts of the D2 men's basketball season, but we'll get to that in a little bit, John, why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about small college basketball and how you and the organization got to where it is today. Yeah. Thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to have me on and be able to talk about small college basketball. It's a thrill to be with you, of course. And, you know, it started as a, a vision, really a dream. I've been working on documents on my computer I found from 2009 and eventually launched in 2015. Uh, I've had some thoughts, you know, coming prior to launching this, I created the Collegiate Basketball Invitational and did something in Kansas City, the Start March event. And, and, I continue to try to think about what can we do that is good for the game, that is genuinely good for the game of basketball at the small college levels. Frankly, it's just, it's what I know. I've, you know, played division three basketball a little bit and a little bit of division one. I coached at the NAI level. I coached at the division two level as athletic director of division two level and on the division two national committee. So this is what I know. Uh, and so I kept thinking about what can I do, but more importantly, I, I've started to feel like, I would do something for a couple of years and move on to the next thing, do something for a couple of years and move on to something else. And I really wanted to put together the pieces of something that will live on beyond me, that it's not about John McCarthy. It's about creating something to serve the players, the coaches, the contributors in the history of our game, and then move it on to somebody else who will keep the legacy going, keep the stories going and preserve our history, tell our stories and preserve our history and ultimately leave a legacy. So uh, we've built the platform for the players, coaches, contributors, et cetera, in the history of our game. And as you've seen over the number of years, it's morphed very much by design. And we started with the Bevo Francis Award, the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Fame Classic. Well, now we have four national awards, a pretty thriving social media and, and website. We've, uh, we're thrilled to bring Chris on board to launch the podcast. We announced the Champions Classic, which will begin in uh, 2022. And we continue to, uh, to enhance what we're doing for those players, coaches, and contributors. Uh, and to be honest, um, behind the scenes, it's a lot of time and effort. It's an incredible amount of time and effort. And, and sometimes uh, I think my wife wonders what the heck I'm doing uh, mm -hmm. and, and why mm -hmm. I'm putting so much time and effort. But then you go to the Hall of Fame induction, you go to the award ceremony, you go to the celebration of the game events, uh, and you go to, to what we've put together. 
And it's just those moments um, when you say, take that deep breath and say, this is why we do it. It's all worth it when you see the excitement from inductees and from the teams and the coaches and so on. Um, it's just the appreciation that we've we've heard over the years for what we've put together. Uh, it's just, it's pretty special. And I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to be able to talk about it. Thank you. And I think one thing like to point out for the, for the listeners is, you know, that you mentioned it, but just to, it's unbelievable the work you do because it's not just D2. I know this is the D2 Nation podcast, but it you do small college, but everything that's not B1, you have coverage on and it amazes me. When Every time I go to the site or I see one of your tweets, it's, just, it's remarkable. You, the work you do is, is incredible. So just for definition, first of all, thank you uh, very much for recognizing that uh, and throwing that out there. But one of the things I get asked a lot is, what's small college basketball? How do you define what small college? And we, the term we use is that small college is all four-year college basketball that is non-NCAA Division I. Frankly, I don't like to use the term below. That implies that it's not as good as, uh, and those student athletes play just as hard and compete and practice and work their tails off. So uh, I don't like to use the term below, but it's all four-year college basketball that is non-NCAA Division I, which in today's world, that's NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, the NAI, the USCAA, and the NCCA. So depending on the year and some movement of teams in and out of different divisions, it's roughly 11 to 1200 colleges and universities around the country we represent. So it's, to be honest, it's, it's a lot of information that's out there. And I don't, I'd like to think that I have a, a pretty good grasp collectively by spending so much time on this. However, let uh, be in full reality is I don't know at all. I, I'm getting a little bit better at listening to people because I'm realizing that I really learn by listening to others, by reading a tremendous amount, watching a tremendous amount, um, reading all the, the emails that are sent to me, the, the tweets that are sent, et cetera. So uh, for those that are listening, keep sending information because we're able to then take our vehicle and push it back out. Uh, so please send me emails, send me tweets, send information, because I don't pretend to know it all. I don't. <laughs> well, first of all, here, I'll say, uh, how dare I forget to introduce our fifth guest, Chris, I see your dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that is, that is Jasta. And uh, my wife is, is gone tonight. She's on her way back from school. So uh, the alternative is to have her scratching and barking outside the office door. I figured this would be the lesser of two evils. So Jasta is here. She uh, she's joining us tonight. So thanks, Bethany. That's okay. But Chris, uh, you had some experience on the D2 basketball court yourself before you started your bona fide basketball podcast. Now you host the small college basketball podcast. Tell us a little bit about your journey. My journey started, I tell everyone, my journey started as a child, um, as, as a kid, my dad coached uh, basketball at the high school that I went to, very close friends with the coaching staff there, Bob Hummel, and had a chance to go to college, uh, live in upstate New York, and my parents gave me the opportunity to go 12 hours away. That was the max that we agreed on, so we didn't have, uh, you know, Apple, Apple Maps or Google Maps or anything, so I Figured out what was 12 hours away. I picked High Point University in North Carolina, and that's where I ended up. I went as far south as I could to get away from uh, the snow and the weather. Spent four years at High Point. Had the opportunity to work for Bart Lundy, who is now 
uh, the head men's basketball coach at Queens. I worked with Josh Schertz, who is now the head men's basketball coach at Indiana State. Uh, and, and Josh hired me to go to Lincoln Memorial. I spent seven years at Lincoln Memorial as Josh's first assistant. Uh, spent three years at Davis and Elkins College in West Virginia, Division II as a head coach, and uh, bounced around the Southeast a little bit and, and spent my time away from my family, spent my time chasing the dream and decided uh, five years ago to come home and be closer to my family, settle down a little bit. Uh, took a high school teaching and coaching job first at Hudson Falls, and I got to work for a tremendous mentor, Vince Medici. Spent two years with him, and now I'm coaching at a local school, uh, South Buns Falls, uh, and, and I've been there. This is my third season, so we just wrapped up Open Gym. We're getting ready to tip off here uh, with tryouts in about two weeks. So the small college, you know, Hall of Fame Classic is, is coming at a great time. I can't wait to get out to Kansas City. Uh, I'm going to be joined by my wife for – going to watch a ton of basketball, which I'm, I'm sure she's thrilled about. So uh, we're going to watch a ton of basketball, cover some of these great teams. And my journey has been, my journey has been just so special. Uh, I love, I love what basketball has been able to do for me and, and getting to know John, uh, just his mission statement and what we're trying to do at small college basketball to give the players, the coaches, the contributors, the alumni a platform and, and to celebrate their accomplishments beyond you know the, the accomplishments beyond division one just speaks to me I was a d2 guy you know I toiled in the trenches for for seven seven years I was a manager for for five years so just the experience of working without necessarily being recognized I think means uh, means a lot to me that we can showcase these athletes these coaches who are so special and so talented in their own right and I'll follow up with when was your first experience or idea when did the light bulb come on for podcasts last year during the pandemic in in new york our state athletic association uh announced that there would be no winter sports there'd be no indoor sports we canceled all sports so um my wife basically said you need to find something to do because you're driving me crazy <laughs> uh no she didn't uh but but i said I, I i needed something to do i was going crazy uh without basketball normally we're in the gym getting our preseason stuff in starting October one. And we go all the way through, you know, April into May uh, with off season activities. And I was going crazy. I missed basketball. I missed, you know, watching and talking to coaches and being around, uh, be, being around the competition. And I said, I'm going to start a podcast. I had enough connections to get it off the ground. I was lucky to be joined by Bart and Josh and I had Patrick Pritz on and uh, commissioner Racy from the MIAA. I mean, had a terrific, group of guests that got had, had allowed me to get it off the ground John and Wayne included and it was nice I watched a ton of basketball I got to dive deep into some coaching conversations and eventually we came to the idea that maybe small college basketball needs needs a voice out there in the podcast world so here we are awesome so John last week we did have Trevor Hudgens on the D2 Nation who is no stranger to the Hall of Fame Classic and he told us why he loved it how did the tournament come about and how does it make you feel knowing it is a staple of the college basketball season now? I watched the podcast with Trevor. You guys did a great job uh, and, and he did as well as, as, as normal. Um, as a freshman uh, on Trevor and the Hall of Fame Classic, just as a note, I'll get back to the full question in a moment. But, uh, you know, he redshirted his first year with Justin Pitts there and, and they have uh, win the national title. 
And uh, there's all these questions, of course, is, geez, you know, Justin Pitts is gone and Ibu's gone and how are they going to be? They've got this freshman backcourt. And uh, I would tell you, I was just thrilled to be there in hindsight. Well, even at the time to see the very first two college basketball games that Trevor and Diego uh, played together. Uh, not only did they go two and oh during that event, uh, but. Trevor was the MVP of the entire thing in his first two games of playing college basketball. And you fast forward and end up 38-0 and, uh, and win the national title. And he's the MVP of the Elite Eight. So he's the MVP of the first two games he plays in our Hall of Fame Classic. And then, uh, you know, a few months later, he's the MVP of the Elite Eight. So uh, what, what a neat deal for Trevor. Of course he likes our event. He's the MVP of the darn thing. <laughs> and they haven't, and, and they played it the next year and they haven't, they win again. They win both games again. Um, so I think they're happy to be back yeah. and and so it came about really with a, a thought really of how, how cool would this be to bring some of the very best teams in all of division two to start the season uh, and so we started with six teams we didn't have an exemption we started the ford center in evansville and what made the event actually chris was there he's coaching at lincoln memorial at the time uh with with josh and lincoln memorial is one of the original teams in i suppose it might help that josh and i have been good friends and coached together before he even went to lincoln memorial um and so we uh we had lincoln memorial and bellarmine and southern indiana kentucky wesley and alabama huntsville uh might be missing somebody chris or florida southern but the induction ceremony that was part of that to come to begin with if you enjoy basketball and you're a historian, it was pretty darn neat that we started it with that in person with the induction class. We had Earl de Pearl Monroe, Jerry Sloan, Travis Grant, Dick Barnett, Lucius Jackson, uh, John Rinka, and John Ebling came in from Italy. And then I had this incredible privilege of introducing the Naismith family onto stage. And so from a combined event, you got six of the top teams in the country in Division Two, and then you've got this Hall of Fame class that brings such great credibility to it. So by the second year, the, we got the exemption from the NCAA Conference Commissioner Association. And uh, I, I need to make sure I throw out in a huge thank you uh, to the Conference Commissioner Association, because not only they give the exemption, we've now extended it for multiple years for the event. We expanded to eight teams. And, uh, and so we're thrilled that this will be the fifth playing of it. COVID canceled things last year, fifth induction class and fifth playing of the event uh, and what a thrill I mean if, if you're a basketball junkie you come a hall of fame induction you've got press conferences a panel discussion a hall of fame induction and eight games in two days and Chris I know I'm getting even more excited to, uh, to come on out there once again so it's just a uh, uh, a thrill if you're a basketball junkie if you love division two basketball and the history of our game uh, the combination's pretty pretty neat yeah. Yeah. It's, and like I said, I, I love watching it. It's a great way to start the season. Um, Chris, going, uh, let's talk to you for a little bit because you did mention that I was on your podcast and we, we, I always had fun it was, and I felt like we had a stop or we would have gone for like six hours. Like we would just get into those conversations. And most of the times you'd put me on the spot and ask me about teams. So now that, <laughs> now that I'm the host, I can put this <laughs> And I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell, tell me, tell us all a little bit about teams you're watching and maybe some early contenders for what you think might make up the D2 men's elite eight. Well, I got, I got a ton of notes here and <laughs> it could go for six hours, but let's not, let's not do that. Um, I, you have to start. I think you have to start 
with the top team in the country, Northwest Missouri State, Ben McCollum. I was fortunate enough to have Coach McCollum on one of our first episodes, and he's got just a great demeanor. He was a terrific interview, and and the more you watch their team play, the more you see, uh, the the more you see like Trevor Hudgens, and and like how they play is a direct is directly relate a direct relationship to like how he coaches. He's so even keeled. He's so intelligent. They play so well together. Um, I love I love Northwest Missouri State. I, I think it's hard. You know, they have six guys back that all played more than 15 minutes a game last year, defending national champions. I mean, you can't pick against them, right? You just can't pick against Northwest Missouri State. So I think I think we'll see them be number one in the country for a while. Uh, and, and I could be surprised. I could be shocked. But uh, but I think we'll see Northwest Missouri State at the top uh, without a doubt. If you look at the top six in uh, in the D2 in your top 10, you know, preseason poll, you know, Flagler returns, Jay Zaklotti, their return inside presence, Chris Megzer. I, I, I like the fact that they also add some transfers to the to the list too. They've got Curtis Lewis and it could be Roberts coming in. So Flagler, I think, is going to be really good. West Texas A&M is a unique case to me. Uh, they lose Quay Grant and they lose um, jo- uh, Joel Murray. They lose those two like big time guards, but they come back. They get a transfer from Lincoln Memorial, Julius Brown. They're three and O. I'm thinking as they're entering the preseason tournament, a lot of questions around West Texas A&M, and they go out and, and they look great. I mean, they 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 just look great. Julius Brown looked great. You know, he's really good. I think out west, you know, you've already, <laughs> as I'm looking through my notes, out west, you've already got you know a point Loma with a Division One win in an exhibition game in the Midwest Ashland's already beat a division one in an exhibition game. I really like, you know, I, I do really like Colorado school of the minds. They return Kobe Betts at point guard. Uh, they've got Ben Boone who can really shoot it. I like Titus Reed. I like Brendan Sullivan. Uh, I think they're really, they're, they're really good. You look at Colorado Mesa, they return everybody, seven other top eight, uh, you know, Ethan Menji Menzies, uh, Jordy Dozier. I mean, so I think what we're going to see to shorten it up a little bit in this college basketball season is going to be very similar to what we're seeing at the division one level now, like what wins the division one is getting old, staying old, getting guys who, even though they're a transfer, maybe they come in with a lot of experience. They're able to gel into your system right away. I think we're going to see the same thing in division two basketball. You look at the elite eight last year, Lincoln Memorial, uh, Damon, West Texas A&M, Northwest Missouri State, Truman, West Lib, Flagler, Colorado School of Mines, all those teams, veteran-laden teams, just teams with veterans, maybe an impact freshman here and there, an impact transfer here and there, but veteran-laden teams. I think we're going to see the same thing this year, especially with the NCAA allowing an extra year of eligibility. I think Truman State is a team I want to keep an eye on because they have four starters back, but the way they play is so balanced. I think we saw this last year in the national championship game. You're thinking, to, I, I know I was thinking to myself, okay, if I'm Coach McCullum, we're, we're playing a West Texas A&M guard attack that, that I don't know that we can guard. Can we keep our bodies in front of them and play our man-to-man defense? They're so good, five guys driving the ball. And you look at, uh, you know, at West Texas A&M trying to guard, uh, trying to guard uh, Ryan Hawkins, player of the year, and Northwest Missouri State. And what won out, you know, it was Northwest Missouri State's ability to play 
both ways. You know, they were able to guard defensively and then throw it inside and take advantage offensively of Ryan Hawkins. I think Truman State is a team that can play multiple ways, uh, just like Northwest Missouri State did last year. So I like the balance that Truman State has. I like the balance that a team like Queens has in the Southeast with Coach Lundy. I mean, Kenny Dye is, is like an awesome point guard. He gets the ball to, to shooters in the pocket. He makes plays. He's the all-time single-game assist leader uh, in Queens history. But they also have a transfer, B.J. McComb, coming in, and they have um, Gavin Raines on the interior. So, again, another team that can play inside out. They can play a multitude of ways, a multitude of styles against any, anything they see. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. Seattle Pacific, we're waiting to see what they do this year. Uh, you know, we're, we're waiting to see how they how they come out. Embry Riddle, they have an elite point guard in Romeo Crouch. Uh, they have three other returners back. You're talking about guys who were preseason uh, preseason All Americans going into 1920 that didn't play. So how do they respond this year? Uh, like I said, Ashland has Ashland, I think, has six guys back, six of the top seven back from last year. Again, getting old, staying old. Teams that were able to take advantage of that extra year of eligibility, players that taking advantage of it. Uh, Andrew Sisho at, at Damon, probably the best forward in the country, averages a double double, 27 and 13 last year. Those are unheard of numbers. Those are Oscar Robertson numbers to go small college basketball for people. Like those are, those are, those are ridiculous, you know? And, uh, and so I think we're going to see a lot of teams that are going to be in contention at the top, though. You know, at the top, it's hard to go against Northwest Missouri State. Yeah, uh, I think just touching on it, I mean, I agree with so much of what you said. I think that Damon and St. Thomas battle uh, in the East is going to be so much fun again. Um, One other thing about Ashland, I think Ashland's really a team to watch, especially in the new conference. You know, they're they're GMAC now. I think that's going to be the watch. And and the West Texas A&M thing, you, you nailed it. It was like, it wasn't just two players they lost. It was Murray and Grant who were like, yeah, and they came out and they looked like nothing happened. And it, it just a real testament to what, what Coach Brown has going on down there. Um, but that's a good segue because now we could, with you know, mentioning Grant and and, and Murray, um, we could talk about the Beavis France Bevo Francis Award, and that it's basically the Small College Basketball Player of the Year Award, and as I think John's a good person to talk to because I would tweet John last year, just, you know, I'd ask him a question about a player and I would get probably a response about this long, about more (laughs) in-depth insight than I've ever could imagine. And I loved it because I I would keep tweeting you and keep asking you for more information. So um, talk a little bit about the the award itself and, and how you compile it, you know, across every level that we were talking about. And then a couple D2 players you think are good contenders for the 21-22 season. Sure. Uh, it started uh, with a conversation with Jeff Lanham, who's the longtime athletic director at uh, the University of Rio Grande. I was, uh, I was in, I don't know if infatuated is the right word, but I knew the Bevo Francis story from the time I was a sophomore in high school. I first heard of Bevo Francis. And it was almost like a fairy tale when you heard the numbers he put up and saving a school from bankruptcy and, uh, and the story itself. And, you know, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, we will be working on a bit of a documentary piece. I've already just met with his wife and, uh, and grandchildren and so on. Uh, we're going to be launching a, 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 a lengthy documentary 
uh, with many parts to it. And the Bevo Francis story will certainly be a, a key component of that, that documentary piece. And so I got to know Jeff Lanham very well at Rio Grande. And in conversation when we were starting uh, small college basketball, I told him what we'd like to do is create, uh, help keep his legacy alive and, and also help tell the stories and keep uh, small college basketball and the top players uh, in the limelight, if you will, provide a platform for the top players. And as you know, we put out the watch list of 100 players, and then we reduce it to 50 a month later, and then to 25, and then the video of the finalists, and then the video of the award winner, and then we bring that person uh, to the National Awards Show. And so we thought it's a platform to keep Bevo's story alive and to uh, highlight the very top players in all of small college. And so just before Bevo passed away, we got his blessing to name the award after him and uh, several months later he passed away and so we do it for those reasons and we're fortunate the University of Rio Grande helps to sponsor the award and uh, and I'm, I'm a little biased but it's uh, I found out something this summer that uh, somebody created a, uh, a Wikipedia page now for the Bevo Francis Award and uh, just just made me feel really good about the credibility and, and I thank you Wayne really for all the the time and effort you've put to push out uh, the information nationally as well uh, and all the schools, once somebody makes a watch list, it's really neat to see all the tweets and the schools putting out their press release about their player being on the watch list. So we have now awarded this five times. Uh, I'd like to think that starting five is pretty darn good, by the way. We've got uh, the first year with Dominez Burnett, who was the two-time NAI Division II Player of the Year from Davenport, ended up breaking the, uh, the all-time scoring record at uh, in the state of Michigan at the collegiate level. And then Justin Pitts, who you're very well aware of, Northwest Missouri State uh, the next year and then uh, it was Emmanuel Terry who was just it just so dominant in so many different ways at uh, Lincoln Memorial and then Aston Francis oh what a show he put on at uh, at Wheaton just in, just such a thrill to watch and then and then Kyle Mangus uh, uh, one of the all-time greatest NAI players and careers that uh, anyone has had and so collectively it's been great to bring attention not just to the winners clearly they get a lot of attention but to all the people that we recognize during the course of uh, of that process so uh, the intent that we started with I'm just so pleased and proud that it's working. Uh, it's bringing great attention to those those players and those those programs. But I'll, I'm certainly going to mention some of the players as you alluded to. But I do want to mention, um, and I don't have it specifically in front of me, but what we're looking for uh, through this process. Clearly, we're looking for some of the top players in all of small college. I think that's pretty obvious. But we're also looking for players. It's a season award, not a career award. So it's not just, hey, last year you averaged 25 a game. Well, if this year you're struggling and your team is struggling, we're focusing on the season itself, not career. And we do take into consideration team success too. You know, there's a lot of really good players that are on teams that are five and 25. And so we'll highlight those players throughout the season and the great, great things they're accomplishing. But for this award, it is an individual award clearly at the end of it, but we very much take into account how they impact the, their, their own team and how they help their team win. And so I just want to throw that out there that it's, um, I get a lot of emails about the Bevo Francis award and a lot of people you know, making their case for their players, which is great. Keep them coming because that's how we we learn 
And we have a committee uh, that we put together that represents Division Two and Three and NAI, and and then from different parts of the country. And I consistently ask for information from them. We'll hold conference calls and uh, continue to circulate emails, uh, trying to gather as much information as we can. Uh, and what is um, incredible to me, whether we're putting together the list of a hundred players. 50, 25, et cetera, how excruciating it is to try to el eliminate anybody from this list. And you'd think initially, well, gosh, there's a hundred players. So, uh, you know, there's, you know, that should be easy on a hundred players. You start thinking about what distinguishes 101 versus 110th best versus the 125th best player it is so, so difficult to try to figure that out. Uh, but the other thing I want to bring up is that this is an evolving process throughout the season. And we've had this situation where a player was not on the original list of 100, but ends up on the list of 50, where that may sound you know counterintuitive, sound ridiculous, but people people play themselves onto the list uh, over the course of time and or frankly we may find out more information about players so to kind of get to the, uh, the the point I think we start with Trevor Hudgens right I mean def defending God uh, division two national player of the year and the NABC and about every publication you can think of um, Trevor's certainly you know in that discussion off the bat and again it goes back to how they play this coming year but then I know uh, Wayne I know one of your favorites and the same with Chris is Andrew Cisco and uh, in addition to how, what a, what a tremendous player he is. Uh, he's a terrific young guy, although I still like it. And if you're listening, Andrew, uh, I, I want you to take it easy on our rims. We had to delay the game uh, when he played in the Hall of Fame Classic a little bit ago from Duncan and warmups and, uh, and end up moving the rim. He's so big and strong and, uh, but a terrific young guy. Jay Lottie obviously is at the, uh, towards the very top of the list and another uh, super young guy, great personality, and man, he can flat out play. You know, one that often doesn't get talked about much in part because geographically where he is and the other part because they didn't play last year is Shadid Shabazz out in Alaska, the GNAC Rookie of the Year and Player of the Year in the GNAC in his first season there a little bit ago, put up pretty remarkable numbers. So I'm anxious to watch him play more throughout this year. Watched a bit of highlights, pretty impressive. Um, other other terrific players that sometimes get uh, get overlooked are people like Jordan Guest at Lincoln Memorial, who was so loaded last year with so much depth and so many good players. Well, when Josh leaves, three three really good players go with him. You know, point guard transfers uh, to West Texas A and M, and you look and say. Jordan was fantastic. If you look at the Elite Eight and the regional tournament game, 6'9", big, strong, can shoot it inside out. He can play. Caden Anderson at uh, Point Loma Nazarene is, is terrific out there. Uh, one that uh, I know we all like, how do you not like Tyler Guyman at Washburn? Oh. My gosh, talk about tough, 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 and a heart that's probably bigger than his body. Just a winner, winner, winner. Uh, I just cannot help but like him. How about Patrick Cartier and what he did in his sophomore year at Hillsdale uh, was just terrific. Uh, you know, Chris, you talked quite a bit about uh, Truman, who's a well-balanced team. Those guards are tough, I might add. But Cade McNeil.
Knight really came on strong throughout all of last year. Was the GLVC Player of the Year uh, last year? Stack is loaded with uh, three key returnees. They've got more than that, but three key returnees. And uh, Grant Singleton was the uh, the Player of the Year in the whole Met area at the small college level. Romeo Crouch is terrific and didn't play last year. Embry Riddle, um, you know, he's just there's so so many so many good ones. But here's one that gets overlooked because the numbers aren't huge. But if you watch the contributions on how people impact their team winning. How about a Diego Bernard that sometimes gets overlooked because everybody talked about Ryan Hawkins and, and uh, Trevor, which by the way, they deserve every bit of that, but offensively and defensively and all the little things that help you win, I'll tell you what, um, Diego Bernard's pretty darn good. You put him on almost any other team in the country, maybe not everyone, but He's best best player on most teams in Division Two in the country. Um, so there's so many so many other ones. How about Armani Foster at IUP who didn't uh, barely play last year at IUP is terrific. Pat Robinson's back at West Liberty when Dalton Bolin moved on. Now it's Pat Robinson's team, and you got Will Yoakum coming back as well. Ricky Lujan's terrific down at Dallas Baptist. And then how about Casey Jones at uh, Emmanuel uh, was terrific in his sophomore year. So athletic, long, and just getting better and better. T.J. Rosine is such a terrific coach. So, you know, the one that I have not seen that I'm, and I'm embarrassed to admit this because he put up terrific numbers. I'm really anxious to watch um, is out at, uh, out in Michigan and Michigan Tech is Owen White. His numbers were terrific last year. He helped his team uh, considerably. And I'm just, I'm anxious to see him play. He put up uh, terrific numbers last year. So certainly the list can go on and on, as you know, um, and I'll stop rambling for the moment, but you know, I love this stuff and I'm just anxious to see all these guys play and so many other this season. And John, you got me fired up to go watch some highlight tapes of some of those names. And, uh, you can definitely tell you're very passionate about it. So that's awesome to see. And I think we will have some guys burst on to the scene that, uh, you know, we might not know preseason. That always happens every year. So that'll be exciting to see happen. And we could go on for hours about it, but we'll stop there and have you both uh, back come March when basketball season is in full swing and when the tourney starts. But John or Chris, uh, please give yourselves a little plug and let people know all the places that they can find you on social media or websites and such. Chris, do you want to go first? Fire away. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm on uh, Instagram. I'm on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn, all coach underscore control underscore. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for having me. This was awesome. So glad we got to do this. And John and I, I'll, I'll talk for six hours probably at the uh, Hall of Fame Classic this weekend. <laughs> so uh, to answer your question, Bethany, and thanks for the, uh, the, the plug there, smallcollegebasketball.com is the hub for the website. The Twitter account's quite active, as you're aware, at SM College Hoops. Uh, it's SM College Hoops. And on the blog, which is, uh, we're fortunate, thousands of people have taken the automatic feed to that, uh, is no www. It took me a while to figure that out. It's just smallcollegebasketball.tumblr.com. So smallcollegebasketball.tumblr.com. And uh, you can certainly reach me if you want to send send a direct email in regards to the Bebo France Award, Hall of Fame inductees, uh, different awards that we've got out there. It's lengthy but easy, smallcollegebasketball at gmail.com. So smallcollegebasketball at gmail.com if you'd like to send any information. And, uh, and again, please please do send information by email, send it through a direct message on Twitter. Uh, we often, and I get this a lot from coaches, we'll often just retweet what you've, you've said. You want to get it out there to the thousands of followers? You know, that's what we're trying to do. And I do want to just finish with a, 
uh, a comment about that is our platform very much by design is used to be as a force for good for players, coaches, contributors, the history of the game. Uh, by design, I'm an old coach and uh, and I've, I've fortunately I've got like Chris, a, a lot of relationships with coaches with a lot of trust by design. We are not investigative reporters. I know a lot of stuff from a lot of coaches uh, that we don't put out there by design. Uh, we are here as a, a vehicle to promote our game, the players, coaches, contributors, and history of our game. So if you've got good stuff that you want us to promote and push out there, good, positive stories, send them to us. We want to put those out there. We want to put them out for social media on our website. We'll feed them to Chris to talk about on the webcast. So Please send us your great stories so we can retell them and tell them to a larger audience. So Wayne and Bethany, thank you so much for the opportunity to be on. It's just a real pleasure to be on both of you. And you too, Chris. <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> well, very special thank you to you both as well. And we're, we're very happy to have you. And speaking of plugs, remember D2 Nation. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, YouTube, and just about anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Give us a follow and we'll see you next week on the D2 Nation. Uh, uh.